This morning we are looking at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. And in these verses we see a focus on imitation. Imitation. And we know the phrase, the saying, that imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. Uh, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. And so we know that saying, and really, we, we see that in the culture, that uh, there's not a lot of innovators, so to speak. Switch me to this one. Uh, we know that there's not a lot of innovators, necessarily, in society, that usually when someone figures out how to do something, then other people just follow their example, and then uh, someone else will come up with something, and you see it's good, and then people start doing it that way, when whatever field of work that is, right? And so uh, we look at that, and we think, in that example, maybe that imitation is not the best, but really, as we think about imitation, it, is, it, it really is a good thing that God has really set up the world to work that way, that we would imitate other people, that really that's how we... That's how we learn. That's how we start out life. From the, from the moment we're born, we, we look up and we see that we are imitating uh, our parents. Are just from baby, you see this facial expressions, right? From the moment they're born, they begin to imitate uh, what they see. And that's really how we learn as we grow up. And that's how God set it up, that children would be uh, moldable and imitate their parents, that parents would train their children in the way they should go, uh, not just by what they teach, but how they live. And so we see that as examples, and we see that set into the world. And when it comes down, really, when it comes down to Christianity, imitation is an incredibly good thing. That we are, in a very real sense, we're not called to be innovators in Christianity, that Christianity is imitating is continuing to do what we have seen in Jesus and what we have seen in those who follow the Lord. And so we don't come up with uh, new ways, so to speak, of being Christians. We, we imitate what we have seen. And that's what we read in the Bible this morning. We see this command for us in Ephesians chapter 5. In verses 1 and 2. And so if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to turn there and read with us this morning uh, this passage. So this is Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. The word of the Lord says this. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Amen. May God bless the reading and the teaching of his word this morning. And so we see this verse starting with that therefore, and since it's really been a couple months about since we've been in Ephesians, it's worth thinking about why that therefore is therefore. And remembering just what the book is about as we think about the book of Ephesians. Ephesians starts with 
point after point, pointing us to the glory of God with a focus on how God has created the world for the praise of his glory. The praise of his glorious grace, as we read in chapter 1, and really in chapter 2 as well, and how God is bringing about that praise of his glory through Jesus, that Jesus is the plan of God to make that happen. And so we see these, not just focus on the glory of God, but we see these spiritual blessings that God has given to us out of his glorious grace. We'll read about in chapter 1 being chosen and adopted and predestined and redeemed and forgiven and sealed and given an inheritance and united with the people of God and receiving all the privileges and promises of the people of God. And all of that is a part of the plan of God to praise his glory and his glorious grace. And so as we move through the book, we see that uh, that focus kind of narrow in on the church there in chapter two and how God is bringing that purpose of his glory about through the church. And how God is building us as a people, not just individuals, but as a people into the, the temple of God. They're at the end of chapter 2 and really into chapter 3. And how God is using the church to display his glory to everyone around. Not just to the people in the world, but God uses the church to show the universe, the angelic beings, the whole universe, what the glory of God is like. That's, that's what we do as a church when we gather together every week. That's what we are as a church. And so Paul then in light of all that, makes it his prayer that we would be a church that is strengthened to comprehend more and more of just how big the love of God is, how wide, how deep, how high is the love of Christ, and that we would be filled with the fullness of God. That's Paul's prayer at the end of chapter 3. And then into chapter 4, we see the the plan of God for us and his glory, how he's bringing that about in the church, how God has given us as a church uh, the people and the giftings in order to bring this about so that we would not just stay as we are, but that we would grow more and more to look like Jesus. And how is God doing that? He's doing that through people as we interact with each other to follow the Lord together. And so God uses people to build up the church to look more like Jesus. And if that's what God is doing in the church, then we as individuals should live a certain way. And that's how chapter 4 ends. We should, we should not live like the world. We should live like Christians who are looking a certain way in how we use our words, in how we are self-controlled over our anger, how we're doing honest work. We use our words to build people up and tell the truth. We're kind and compassionate and forgiving. And all of that is what the righteousness and holiness of God looks like in us as he's created us, made us a new creation to look like his righteousness and holiness. And so that's uh, maybe just a couple minutes on the first Four chapters of Ephesians, and that leads us into today where Paul says, therefore, based on these things, especially right there in chapter four, based on all of this, we get this summary statement. 
in verse 1. Be imitators of God. Paul's kind of just listed all these details of how we imitate God, and now he's like summing it up. It's like he's saying, I said all that to say this, be imitators of God. He just told us a lot of ways, specifically at the end of chapter 4, you can go back and read it, of how we should be imitating God. And now he gives us the summary statement, imitate God. And so this is really, it's the, it's the summary of the Christian life, of what we're supposed to be doing. What is our focus? What is our goal as Christian? It is to imitate God. That if uh, God has created us a certain way and given us a purpose to live a certain way, then we need to be living that way. And that way is by imitating him. It's like, it's like when you make a mold. I don't know if you've had experience with this or not, if you've ever made a mold. Uh, but... A few years ago, I didn't try this very much, but we made a fishing lure out of a mold. It's a homemade fishing lure. It was a fun experience. Uh, and we just made like a little worm, right? Using silicone and you make the mold and then you put it in there and then it dries and you take it out and it's just like, you know, any of the worm fishing lures you can buy at a store. Right, but it, we make it a certain way, you shape it a certain way to hopefully fulfill a purpose to catch a fish. I don't remember if it ever did catch a fish or not. But it had a purpose, it had a goal, and it was shaped according to that, right? And we see, we see similar things in the Bible, of that God is a potter shaping us as the clay into vessels for his glory as Christians. Right, we see the examples of how God has made us for a certain purpose purpose. Uh, and we see specifically in the Bible how he makes us as vessels of honor in his service. And so we know that principle, right? If something's created for something, you use it for that purpose. If something is a screw, you don't use a hammer on the screw. If a recipe calls for sugar, you don't substitute salt for it, right? If something is created for something, you use it according to that purpose. And the, the same thing is true when it comes to this principle of imitating God. God has made us a certain way. He's created us back in chapter 4, verse 24. He has created us after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. We are made in that mold and so that's how we're supposed to live. Now, therefore, imitate God. And so that's our, our purpose, our whole mandate as Christians. First John puts it this way. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So if we're Christians, we're supposed to be literally following in the footsteps of Jesus to imitate God. And here's the thing that stands out from this verse, right? Imitate God. That's, that's the command. It's just two words, really. But it stands out because we get a motivation for why we're supposed to be doing that. It says, be imitators of God as beloved children. And so there's something about being 
a beloved child of God that makes us imitate God. Right? These words aren't just here to just fill up space. Paul writes them specifically for a, re- a reason. Be imitators of God as beloved children. Because you are a beloved child, this should make you want to imitate God. This should drive you to imitate God. And, and really, we can understand that, I think, pretty naturally. Think about your dad here on earth. Uh, maybe they've passed on. Maybe not. But think about your dad. If you know that your dad loves you, then that makes you want to be like them more. right? It makes you see some of the good qualities that they possess. And you see, hey, I want to put that into my life because I see they love, they care. right? I want to be like that. And the, really, the flip side is also true, right? If we see or if we feel like our dad doesn't love us, then we have that other reaction, right? I don't want to be like him. I want to be different than what he was like. And really, as we grow, we, <laughs> this has been true in my life. It's probably true in your life as well. As we grow, we get older. Maybe as we have families of our own, we see more and more of what. Uh, our parents were like and maybe insights into why they were like they were and it uh, gives us maybe a greater appreciation or understanding of why they were doing what they were doing. But the point remains, right, of if we see that there is that loving aspect, then it drives us to want to be like them more, to appreciate it, to, to want to put that into our own Lives. And we see that here in the scripture that this is what God is like, that he loves us. And that love gives us a desire to be like him. We're, we're talking kind of about, you know, the example of our earthly fathers, uh, seeing whether they, if, if they love us, we want to imitate them. If they don't, usually we want to be different. And sometimes you'll hear uh, people when they, they think about Christianity or they become a Christian, but they didn't have a great father in their lives. And you'll hear struggles that people have about wanting to, uh, or struggling with loving God as a father. It's, uh, It's something they have to work through, right? Because they didn't have that in their life. And it really highlights here in this verse that Really, when we think about God as Father, we're not comparing Him to our earthly fathers, so to speak. But we're comparing our earthly fathers to Him, that He is the standard, right? That He is the perfect loving Father. And so if, if fathers here on earth are loving, then they're in some sense imitating Him. And if they're not, then they're falling short of that standard. But He is still that perfect loving Father. That's who He is. That he is that not just a father to us, but a loving father to us. And so we see him as that perfect standard. And that makes us want to want to think about his love, meditate on his love and then be like him. Right. And so we get this reminder to to focus on the love of God, that this motivates us to be like him in these verses. And so that's really instructive, right? These verses tell us, imitate God as beloved children. And so 
if we are in our lives struggling in some area to imitate God, to follow God, then that principle is helpful. Then we need to not just know what do I need to do to be like God, right? The Bible tells us those things. What do I need to do to be like God? But we also need to think about this motivation. Am I not just thinking about I need to do this, this, and this, but am I also thinking about how does God love me? How does he show his love towards me? Am I thinking about the love of God as I'm thinking about how to be like God? Because that's where the motivation comes in that compels us to live a certain way. And as you know, that it's not just knowing what to do that's important, but it's also the motivation behind it, wanting to do it, that is incredibly important, that often sustains us in living a certain way. And it's thinking about meditating on the love of God that motivates us, that keeps us living in imitation of God. And so that's something for our personal life. We need to think about the love of God. If we know someone who needs change in their lives, uh, I'm assuming you know someone who needs change in their lives, right? Um, Then we need to not just think about, hey, what do they need to do and not do? But maybe a way we can help them according to this verse, according to this principle, is by pointing them to the love of God. By reminding them of the love, love of God, by focusing on that. And we see that as we understand more that we are beloved children of God, that leads us to imitate God more. And so instead of just thinking about and sharing help on, hey, you can be doing this instead of this. We can also be reminding people of how God has shown his love toward me and towards you. And that leads to change. That leads to imitation of God. Because we are beloved children. And so that's how this verse reminds us to follow God. To focus on the love of God that he has shown towards us as beloved children. And so in verse 1, we see this focus on God the Father. I don't know if you picked up on this yet. But it says, be imitators of God. I think that's God the Father. And then in verse 2, we see the same thing, really. But we're told to walk in love as Christ loved us. And so we see this, verse 1, imitate God the Father. Verse 2, imitate Christ the Son. Walk like He walked. And so we see this focus shift, so to speak, not just from God the Father, but to God the Son. And that is incredibly helpful, I think, because it gets really into the specifics. We're not just staying in the ethereal, the abstract, imitate God. Now we're drilling down into some specifics. How are we going to do this? And we see that in this verse, it tells us how we follow in the footsteps of Jesus. We see that Jesus, as Christ loved us, he gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. And so that is how we're supposed to follow Jesus. We're supposed to walk in love. 
And then we get this really this definition of what love is, which is also incredibly helpful. We live in a world, not just a culture, a whole world, where love is, I think, universally supported. Like, no one is going to say, I'm not for loving people. <laughs> no one is going to say that. Right? But a lot of people have different definitions of what that means. And we see in the Bible that we're not just told to love people, but we get some description of what that actually looks like. We read it this morning in, a, in another passage in 1 John that God is love, right? And so you could say that what God does in the Bible is loving. We see a pretty, a pretty full range of God in the Bible of how he is not just supporting and affirming whatever people would do, but that God is forgiving and giving grace, but also holding people to standards and punishing people for disobedience. And so we see this full range of love in the Bible, and really we see that range of love right here in this verse. We get these two definitions of the love of Jesus. First, that he gave himself up for us. And that is really at the heart of what love is. That Jesus gave himself up for us. And if he has thus given himself up for us, so also we should give ourselves up for others. That would be a paraphrase of 1 John. But that is really at the heart of what love is, laying down our lives. You are familiar with the verse probably. Greater love hath no man than this than to lay down his life for his friend. And that's what we see in this verse. We, we think, obviously, of examples in our day-to-day -day life where we see this happen. We think of examples of people in the military or uh, firefighters, police department, other areas of service where people are literally putting their lives on the line for us in a very real sense. And we, we support, we honor those people because we understand that's an honorable thing that people are doing so that we might be here and have a lot fewer concerns as we are here. And then we think about, you know, we move past the literal, but we still understand that it's, it's a real sacrifice nonetheless as people maybe don't put their physical lives on the line, but as people still make sacrifices for us. You can think about people who have made sacrifices, either you hear about them or people who have literally done it for you. Where they've gone without something so that it might be better for you. Or where they've not catered to their own preferences so that you might have something or so that you might be able to do something. Right? We see those examples and those are honorable things. That is a way that we can follow in the footsteps of Jesus and walk in love as he loved us and gave himself up for us because when we think about the sacrifice of Jesus, it was a very literal thing. That we're not talking in metaphors. He literally gave himself up for us. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We were in the literal no-win situation because of our sin. Right? 
It was a no-win situation. There was no way we could escape the punishment that we deserved because of our sin. We couldn't do enough. There weren't enough other people to help us out of it. We were under the righteous condemnation of God and his wrath because of our sin. We deserve his wrath when we sin. But Jesus, when he died on the cross, he took our place. He is the only solution to the no-win situation, so to speak. When he takes the wrath of God for me, so that now I might live, I might not die because of him. He gave himself up for us. And that is, that is love. That is the perfect picture and definition of how God has loved us, of how he has saved us and made salvation for us. And so we see that example in this verse, that Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. I think there's one more thing of how we see this definition of love, right? Not just this self-sacrifice and giving ourselves for others, but Christ gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. A fragrant offering. That's, that's language from the Old Testament. Maybe you're reading through the Bible in a year this year, and uh, if you are, you will hit the book of Leviticus fairly soon, and you will start reading about all these sacrifices, right? Even before that, you'll read about them. But you read about them, and you will find this language, right? There are sacrifices... Uh, that incorporate these, uh, these gifts that are pleasing aromas to the Lord. Maybe the sacrifice itself, we read also about incense uh, or the, the special blends, right, of oils and things. But we, we sometimes get boiled down in the details and we forget the big picture that this is creating, these sacrifices are reminding us that there's something pleasing about this to the Lord in the sacrifice. And that's the picture we're meant to see that as these Old Testament sacrifices, they're really, they're pointing us forward to Jesus. That one day there is going to be a sacrifice for sins, a real sacrifice. Not just a reminder of how we need a sacrifice, but a real person who is going to be the sacrifice, who is going to please God. And be that sweet-smelling aroma. And so we're reminded that as we're sacrificing for others, that we need to be doing it in a way that's actually pleasing to God. That is a fragrance offering to the Lord, right? That's not a stench in his nostrils, so to speak. In, in other words, when you are showing love to other people, you also have to be obeying God, right? We can't just say, I'm trying to be nice to someone, I'm trying to help them, and then do something that's opposite of what the Bible says. We may be sacrificing something in ourselves, but we're not actually pleasing God. We're not actually doing it as a fragrant offering to God. We may be trying to think about other people, but we're not thinking about God as well. And so we see that here in this passage, that love is thinking Jesus, in showing love, thinks about others, and he thinks about God. How do I show love to others 
and obey and please God. And so we see that here in this passage. And again, in 1 John, we see something very similar to this. 1 John 5 verse 2 tells us that by this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. And so how is it that we know that we're actually loving other people around us? Well, we have to be obeying God at the same time. In fact, as we obey God, we are loving the people around us. That's the definition of love we see in this verse and in other places in the Bible. And so that is really clarifying for us as we live in a world that very much so uses the words love and support of love, but really uses it in a different definition. We see that when Jesus went to the cross, it was about sacrificing himself and saving people, and it was about pleasing and glorifying God. In order to love people like Jesus loves people then, we have to sacrifice ourselves for the good of others and be obeying and pleasing to God. That is what love is. And that is what we are supposed to be imitating as we think about what God is like. We see that this is the kind of love he has towards us, both God the Father and God the Son. And then we, in turn, after we've meditated on and marveled at the beauty of the love of God, we are motivated to show this kind of love to the people around us. And so these verses tell us, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ loved us. Let's pray together this morning. Father God, we are thankful for your word. We are thankful for this reminder of the love of God. Lord, point our hearts and our minds to the love of God more. Lord, we, we know about the love of God. If we've grown up in church, if we've been around church for very long, we hear about the love of God. We know it. I pray that that would not become calloused in our thinking or in our hearts. But as we hear the love of God, every time it would be this glorious thought in our minds of where we are amazed at your love, of where we see its beauty and its goodness more and more, and we want to be like you more and more. Lord, I pray that we would give you praise for your love, that it would not just be something that we know in our heads, we hear it and we say, yes, I know that, I acknowledge it, but it would be something that leads us to give you praise to respond to you in that way. Lord, continue to change us into people who imitate you, who are showing this kind of love to others as we look more and more on the kind of love that you show us. Lord, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.